you're about to listen to another great show on the Four Eyed Radio Network. To listen to other shows just like this, go to foureyedradio.com. Like our show, Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast. Where we talk everything and anything about Pokemon. Learn something new. Like, did you know that every Pokemon card is misprinted on the back? The ball centerpiece opens on the wrong side. <laughs> what? I'm going to have to check that out. But yeah, you can learn stuff like that, which I just learned right now. Wallop and web snappers. My spider sense is tingling. 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 Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. I'm Doug. And I'm Derek. And is your spider sense tingling? I will tell you as soon as I use the steps of the scientific method to determine if my spider sense is tingling. I'll wait. To listen to the show, find us on 4EyedRadio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit RevengeLover.com. Happy New Year! It's a different year. It's now 2021 and not 2020. Hopefully that means something good. We'll see. Probably not. At least Our not lives we'll won't see. change immediately, but we'll celebrate anyway. Sure. Um. Also, we're talking about a different show than we were talking about last time you all heard us, which is exciting. So even if it doesn't feel different uh, based on the calendar year, it'll feel different here on our podcast. It will. And I'm really interested to talk about the one that we're talking about, if only because... This is the first time we're doing one that's more or less, like, concurrent with the right now. Like, essentially. I mean, not technically, because the episodes we're going to be talking about are, like, three years old. But as in the most recent iteration of the thing, there's nothing that's come after it yet, which is going to be definitely, like, different in terms of how our perspectives work, you know? The series is as current as we can get in the real time. Because... We are talking about the 2017 series that is still in production. Uh, I think it's it's it hasn't been canceled, but I don't think it's been renewed either. So I but think that's, but it's, yeah, it's so hard to say given the events of the past year. I feel like a lot of shows are in that in that yeah space. So yeah, yeah, it's not canceled. <laughs> Um, But we're talking about the 2017 to maybe now, uh, maybe to 2020 series, Marvel, Spider-Man, Marvel's Spider-Man or just Spider-Man. It has a very non-distinct name. (laughs) Yep. And depending on where you go, the official title is different. So we should probably just go with like Spider-Man 2017. Yeah. Kind of like Spider-Man 1981. I think that officially it's Marvel's Spider-Man. Oh, I'm fine with that. I just don't think it's as clear. The problem is that the PS4 game is also technically officially Marvel's Spider-Man, and we all yeah. call that Spider-Man in parentheses PS4. So maybe we should just, on our materials, call it Spider-Man 2017. I'm I yeah. argue that in this case, a colloquialism will be better for us all, and yeah. we should go with Spider-Man 2017. 
Yeah, so you've heard it right on this podcast, breaking news. We are officially referring to this show as Spider-Man 2017. <laughs> well, because we're inevitably going to reference back to these episodes when we move forward into another series. So, yeah, I don't know. I just think it'd be confusing to be like, when we watched Spider-Man or when we watched Marvel's Spider-Man. So. I, I agree with you. And, <laughs> and when we've referred to it other, like before doing this show, we've said yeah. tw- the 2017 show or the current show or whatever. So, like, it makes sense. And we refer to the 90s show as I just did as the 90s show, not Spider-Man the Animated Series, because that also is not as clear as calling it the 90s show. Quite true. Yeah, cool. Anyway, that's what we're talking about. So it's a a very easy series to find. The series is currently on Disney+, Plus, shouldn't be going anywhere, and the episode that we are talking about today is also available on YouTube in six installments. six chapters (laughs) installments makes it sound like you're paying for it but you're not so very very easy to find yeah yeah this one is interesting you know like we said it's the most current one and i think at least on the corners of like spider-man twitter that i have lurked in which i don't do often it's usually like talked about negatively which i kind of knew going into it i'm like i'm sure that's just like a nerd opinion and it actually there probably is a lot of merit and i think that there's a lot of merit in the show actually quite enjoy the show of what i've seen of it so far but I do think it's really interesting doing this now compared to anything that we've done beforehand because I feel like there is the lens of, like, every time there's a new show, it's the worst thing that's ever been made compared to everything that came before it, which was better, which I think has been so interesting seeing Ultimate Spider-Man and this show sort of come out in pretty rapid succession yeah. all while we're grown-ups and so don't have any kind of nostalgic filter or anything over it and seeing the transition of ultimate spider-man being the worst show that has ever been made and just a horrible just destruction of the spider-man legacy now <laughs> not sort actually of... derek's opinion to clarify <laughs> no not actually my opinion the the framing of that uh of it being that because it was different and and new and had a different take and everything And then sort of seeing that now, a few years later, now that this show has come out, I've seen a lot more like, oh, yeah, Ultimate Spider-Man was so good. I miss that. Why don't they bring that back? This new show is trash. And it's like, oh, it's funny. It's almost like it's just a cycle and nerd opinions are always the same. I think that's all it is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just think, like, there's not really other places to bring that up on this podcast because we're always looking back. And I think it's so interesting because we're going to be looking at it like we're looking at any other show, even though it's a newer one, just, you know, in the context that it was made. Yeah, still looking at what exists before and what may come after it and stuff, but still looking at it like it's a TV show. And I think that the thing that I found really interesting about this, because I knew very little about it before we started diving into it for this podcast. I didn't watch it when it was on. And I do think that this is another show that, interestingly has a take on things like a very particular take which i always find really fascinating and i always think there's a lot of value in um when you have like kind of a particular vision for like this is what we're doing with spider-man this time that's going to set it apart from previous spider-mans and i'm really excited to dive into that honestly i would be very surprised and and incredibly disappointed if either of the two major comic book names were putting out cartoons at this point that don't have a take I, I it's hard for me to imagine given like how mainstream they all are now like it doesn't seem like the type of thing where you just be like let's just crank something out because we got to have something going and i don't know someone will at me and say like have you watched this by so and so but it it seems harder and harder moving forward to imagine a, a show that doesn't have some sort of perspective 
Yeah. And there's usually like if they're doing a new one, there's sort of a reason for it. Granted, a lot of times it is like for synergy with the movies or whatever. Right. But they'll at least like be like, we want this this show to be the thing that does this. We're going to get this group of writers or this head writer to come in because they have a particular idea for what they want to do. And actually for this show, we have some, as usual, some production notes and behind the scenes stuff and interviews. And that's exactly what the case was with this one, too. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's It's not like I think that's the thing that we ran into with older Spider-Man shows as much as we like find appreciation in the, kind of the wacky things they're doing. But a lot of those shows are just sort of like, I don't know, let's just do a Spider-Man show and he fights aliens and stuff, I guess. Like there's not, you know, yeah, it really well, it's, is. It's the difference between making cartoons now and making cartoons in the late seventies. I don't know. I think yeah. I, I, I can't imagine you could pitch a show without pitching it with some sort of perspective. If it's something as big as these types of properties, you know what I mean? Yeah, and there's so much to pull from, and there's so many fans out there that have become writers in the industry and creators yeah. in the industry that their dream job is to write for Spider-Man and probably have had these you know, ideas about what they'd want to do if they had a hand on Spider-Man for a long time. You know, So you end up getting, like we said, different takes, and I think all of them equally have value, whether or not they hit with you as the viewer or even hit with us depends. Um, it's going to depend on our tastes and sometimes depend on how successful they're at executing those takes, but the takes still have value nevertheless, I would say. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's dive into the making of this show. Cause uh, there is actually some really interesting background in terms of like what they're going for. Um, there isn't any kind of tumultuous stories or anything for this one. It's pretty straightforward. Ultimate Spider-Man was over. I think that was it wasn't like a cancellation thing. I think it was just everybody was just ready to be done with it because it ran for over 100 episodes. So like good solid run. Y'all are done. Right. So they don't want to be without a Spider-Man show, whether that be on Disney XD or just from Marvel in general. So there were kind of two prominent ideas for what they wanted the next Spider-Man show to be. And because Ultimate Spider-Man was such like a dense show that was basically partially meant to just be a Marvel Universe show. One idea that has been voiced by Court Lane, who is Marvel, who or was Marvel's senior vice president of animation and family entertainment at the time, he was saying that their approach would be a back to basics approach. So was going to be more solely focused on Peter Parker, Spider-Man and probably other spider people too, judging from who we've seen introduced already in these first few episodes, but primarily a spider person show rather than a larger Marvel Universe show. The other kind of main point that they wanted to focus on for the creation of this show came from uh, who would who would be the supervising producer slash story editor. So basically like the showrunner of the show, Kevin Shinnick. He pitched his one word idea to executives and that word was science, which we'll have a lot to talk about because there is a lot <laughs> that the show does to focus on science. But first, on that back-to-basics approach, Shinnick said in an interview with USA Today, he said, uh, I miss the angst that Peter Parker had during the Stan Lee and Steve Ditko era. So when I pitched this to Marvel, I said to them, I'm a huge fan of Spider-Man, but I'm an equally huge fan of Peter Parker. I really want to spend more time in this world. I want to go back to those issues of having to keep your grades high, but also be a superhero. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. We haven't talked about Ultimate Spider-Man yet, but I have seen a decent chunk of Ultimate Spider-Man. So I, I definitely get where you would come to the table with an approach like that. Yeah, yeah. Really, you know, really the only thing that I I wish had been done differently about this show. And 
it's kind of unfair to say that, but like, cause given the time that it came out, it <laughs> I came was out. Say, how much of it have you watched so far? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, from, from the inception, from the inception of it, I think is, is the fact that like, it could have been a great opportunity to have your first Miles Morales centered show. Like, sure. you know what I mean? And I think the only reason they didn't do that was a, this was being conceived in 2017, probably earlier in 2016, they were, they were in pre-production on it. So like, even though Miles was a like popular character in the comics, he hadn't exploded from Into the Spider Verse yet, right. and also Spider and Homecoming still has Peter Parker, right? So like they want to have some synergy with that. So like I get it, and I'm not mad about that, and I'm glad that they're still clearly based on just the first few episodes making attempts to bring in other potential Spider people um, and seeding that. But you know, it would have been nice to just you could you could do all of the like back to basics like Spider Man in high school dealing with real world like life problems. But just do it with Miles instead of another Peter Parker show, you know, and that immediately like can differentiate it from past shows without you having to like even say that you have a take on it, you know. Yeah, no, I'm, I I hear you. I just I I think they could do it so much more easily now. <laughs> yep, yep. Probably whatever comes after this, I feel like will have to be <laughs> will have to be yeah. like a Miles show or a Spider Gwen show or something like that. Yeah. So the other side of that that we brought up is science, that one big word. So while uh, Peter's kind of scientific genius and ingenuity, like is, you know, that's always been kind of an integral part of, of comic book lore. I think it's like fair to say that it's usually pretty underplayed in a lot of adaptations, like in cartoons and in movies, like Amazing Spider-Man played up the science stuff, but most of the cartoons and like the Raimi movies, the science stuff, like he likes science, but like. He's not, like, a scientific genius like he often is in the comics or is, like, in the PS4 game as well. So for this show, the marketing kind of referred to science, the concept, as a bold new approach. And I think you can definitely see that. It's a big focus in this show. And uh, Shinnick said in an interview about science is that Peter is a 16-year-old science geek, which he's always been, but he's really obsessed with it. That was my entry point for the series. You'll notice that every episode lays heavily on the science of it all. You may learn some things along the way because we try to be accurate about certain things. And uh, it's my entry point for the series because it's about Spider-Man, but Spider-Man is Peter Parker, and it's his heart and mind that we really associate with. Science is his passion. It's his entry point for everything, from talking to his friends to dealing with a homework problem or dealing with a supervillain. Science is always his go-to. Yeah, and I actually think I think that the way that from what I've seen and the way that he's talking about it, I think the obsession part of it is the thing that I think is more unique than I think he's even selling it. Like, yeah, I think I think this Peter Parker from what we've seen is obsessed with science. He's not just smart. And I think there are versions of Peter Parker in other shows, in other movies, in other comics that are obviously a genius level person but aren't obsessed in the way that this kid is and i actually think that's unique in a lot of ways yeah like he doesn't really even have any other hobbies or interests like or knowledge on anything else outside of science he geeks out about science he doesn't just yeah. know science it's it's yeah. taking like a like a kamala khan approach but applying it specifically to science where like he gets overly excited about stuff and i think that is a unique characteristic of this peter parker and I think I get why they're they're calling it a back to basics approach, but I do think it elevates that further than I'm at least used to seeing. I would agree with you. I, yeah, I was I was definitely 
at first a little bit taken aback, not in a bad way, but just sort of like surprised at mm-hmm. how much the science stuff was so heavily a part of it. But you get used to it pretty quickly and it makes sense. Like yeah. the way that Peter is written as a character is built fully around that. And I think he like makes sense as a character in this show when you sort of understand that as the foundation. Yeah. I think it's a I think it's a different and successful way of modernizing Peter Parker in an origin story. Because when you look at something like the Amazing Spider-Man movies, they had their whole science thing, but in order to sort of modernize Peter Parker, they sort of made him like cool and almost um almost awkward. And so like when he was being sciencey, it was almost like he was losing himself in science mm-hmm. and sort of shutting things out as opposed to this kid this Peter who just gets like unabashedly like jazzed, you know what I mean? And I feel like it, it makes him sort of this weird nerdy kid without sacrificing the scientist that is Peter Parker that I think some other adaptations have done. Yeah. 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 It's really interesting. It's a definitely a different, a different angle. Another angle that's sort of different in the show. It's not like different, but it's like focused on in a very particularly different way. I think is actually like Peter and Harry as sort of the emotional core of everything. And that's a thing that producers have commented on like since before the show even started. So in an IGN interview, the co-executive producer, Marsha Griffin said, the relationship between Peter and Harry is the emotional center, I would say, in terms of them starting off as the best of friends. Two people couldn't be closer. And through the course of the season, we literally take that relationship up to the brink. It's the dynamics of that relationship and the emotional core of what happens between the two of them that sort of drives much of what goes on. And that's like, it's interesting because, you know, we expect Harry and Peter in any adaptation to have some kind of like conflict or or tension. Uh, But it's interesting that like with this one, he's kind of presented as like Peter's only friend so far. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and it's like their relationship is kind of like the core of it. There's not really been any like Peter hasn't had any kind of big crushes or infatuations with anybody or like any big love interest moments. It really is like the core. They don't even show much of like Aunt May really yet. It's very much like what we what they take great strides to establish right from the get go is Peter and Harry first and foremost, which I think is a really I'm really excited to see where that goes throughout the season yeah another thing that i that i think is uh is probably is helps with the uh, back to basic sort of approach that they were doing or at least it kind of supports that this is a quote from spidey's voice actor robbie damon who we'll talk about in a little bit that he did with ign he said he's not tony stark he doesn't have endless resources he has to find a way to pay his tuition as he gets older that's always been part of the parker arc I think it's sort of, like, pointed that he, like, references Tony Stark because, you know, that's, like, a well-known criticism of the of the MCU Spider-Man is sort of how tied with, with Iron Man that he is. And I do think that, like, it was probably smart of them to, if they wanted to do a back-to-basics sort of thing, even if it's not fully back-to-basics because there's so much science stuff involved, making it a point to, like, say, like, he's not linked to, like, any billionaires or anything like that, like... There's still going to be money troubles. He's still more or less on his own, even though he clearly has access to science stuff, which we'll see like next in a couple of weeks. It's still not like really the same, I guess, as having like big superhero mentors like he does in the MCU. Not saying that that's a bad thing, but like it's a it's a choice that they're actively making to be different from that, I think. I think this I don't I don't think this is as significant as it sounds. I feel like it only sounds significant because of the MCU right now and because this series was preceded by Ultimate. I think if you're going to do a story about Peter Parker at the age of 16, nine times out of 10, he's going to be struggling with finances. So I think this is like purely a context type thing. Like, I think this is what most people expect, even 
even if they know like current stuff. Yeah, but I mean, that is the world that we're living in with a lot of with, you know, that is the that is exactly the context, you know. So I think I think it I'm not surprised that they would want to highlight that, like make it a point to highlight that, even if they would have done it anyway, like regardless of what's happening in, in movies or other adaptations. I don't know. Maybe maybe I uh, maybe I'm not considering enough, but it literally just sounds like he's saying like this is Peter Parker. Sure. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that I think uh, also makes it different from Ultimate Spider-Man is that like you know Ultimate Spider-Man was really tied to Shield and the Avengers and stuff like that, at least from what I've seen. And this one, they they kind of crafted the show actually weirdly to have a stronger connection. They said, again, right before the show even came out in interviews, they said ahead of time that like, oh, yeah, this show's going to have a stronger connection actually with the Guardians of the Galaxy cartoon, not really so much with the Avengers cartoon that's going to be concurrently, mostly because apparently the Guardians of the Galaxy series that had started before this was already dealing with like symbiote stories or at least like was introducing that. So... I don't know how that's going to cross over in this show. I know that like the third season is all about Venom and stuff. So like I'm assuming we're going to see some Guardians of the Galaxy stuff uh, sooner rather than later, it seems like, because that seemed to be the big connection that they wanted to uh, right from the get go press that they were going to have. Yeah, I could see that. Last but not least, just generally about the show, Shinnick just said uh, that there are certain check marks for me in every episode. One was to be innovative. One was to remember who Peter Parker is. And one was what haven't people seen? Just the chance to make everything that we love through history new again was an exciting moment for me. I hope we've done it because I'm very proud of this series. I just thought that was nice. It's pretty basic, but... <laughs> well, I, I think it's reflective of what we've seen of the show so far. I yeah. think the show, as far as we've seen it, and this is not to say that it doesn't have a perspective or a take, but I think the show is aiming to, like it said, go back to basics. So I think it's simple and it's charming what he's saying here. And I think the show is meant to start in that same place. Like, yeah, we do have him in the MCU and we did just have him in ultimate Spider-Man. So like, it, it's weird. Maybe this clarifies what I was saying just a moment ago, but like, it's kind of funny that the take that they're having is actually to like, not have a take in a way, you know what I mean? Like their take is to be like, let's just do Peter Parker. <laughs> Yeah. As opposed to like have a grandiose take on Peter Parker. And I love them. I love both of those approaches. I think you have to kind of go back and forth and back and forth in the way that I think the comics kind of just naturally do, because you you are always wanting to do what he's saying, which is what haven't people seen before. And I don't know, as we move further into this, maybe there'll be things that we haven't seen before. But if this is the first show that kids are going to watch, having seen Tom Holland's Spider-Man or catching some of Ultimate Spider-Man then yeah, this is this is something they haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. I just love that it's sort of like the take is to, or part of the take, uh, I'm simplifying it, but part of the take is to like just do Peter Parker without, you know, bells and whistles. I love that. Yeah, I like that a lot too, because it definitely is sort of like the, the very opposite direction of what Ultimate Spider-Man was doing, which again, I don't think it was a bad direction to go in, but it makes sense that like yeah, if, the pendulum, if the pendulum swings far in one direction, it should swing far in the other direction, like after that, you know, just because it has to for something like this to survive because yeah. you can't you can't just have, you know, sort of basic Peter Parker every single time you do a new Spider-Man show, because then everybody's just going to hate basic Peter Parker. You know what I mean? Right. So, right. So I would expect whatever show follows this to be either about a different character, like you were saying, about either Miles or Gwen, or if they stick with Peter, to be wildly different than, you know, your basic, charming, dorky Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. 
I'm always excited to see what ne- what's next. I always get so like I know we've like ranted about this already a little bit, but it's just like I always get annoyed whenever nerds are just mad about new stuff because it's like I'm always so excited to see like what different type of thing can happen next. You know, like I always like the shows that we have, like the Spider-Man shows that we have, but I'm also always excited for like, okay, after they get done with this, like what's the state of the world? Like what's going to be trendy? <laughs> what's like, you know, what are people going to be interested in? Who's going to come in with what take? Like it's just, it's, it's always exciting to see what comes next. So like, it's cool like to see when the pendulum swings in either direction because in either direction you're going to get something new and something interesting out of it. Yeah, there's a lesson in the in the second episode we'll talk about, technically episode 1, from Einstein himself that many nerds can learn from about being hopeful for the future. Uh Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, uh, we are talking about Marvel's Spider-Man Season 1, Episode 0, and this is called Origins. Here's our synopsis per IMDb. A series of six shorts preceding the main series that explain how Peter Parker became Spider-Man. And if you're wondering why it's Episode 0 and why it's six shorts and why we're calling it an episode, it is part of the series. It introduces the series. It's listed on Disney Plus as Episode 1, which does offset the numbering on all of Disney Plus, so... That's uh, a thing that happens and might be confusing, but hopefully the titles will help help you follow along. It's also weirdly split into the six shorts on Disney Plus under just Spider-Man shorts. So, yeah. All right. <laughs> I mean, I do get it because because it was introduced as a series of shorts. And so the way that they are cut, they have it. But then they also cut it into an episode probably that was shown on TV. So, yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah, it. that's I'm assuming that they have to have rerun this on TV at some point, but I'm not sure. But yeah, whenever you have this sort of setup where you have like extra supplemental material media stuff that's still like relevant to the plot, like it is always going to be hard how you find a compromise when you're putting it on a streaming service because like DVDs, you can put it on as an extra, you can list it as an episode zero or whatever, but you can't really do that on a streaming service just because they're not set up that way. So like. Whatever. You can watch it either way. <laughs> yeah, and I will say that I, I calling it a series of six shorts, I don't even actually think describes it very well because I don't think they work very well as shorts. I think watching it all at once serves what they're doing in this episode far better than watching it with with interruptions. I would say so, too. I It's, it's weird because, like, I agree with that. I also, like, I think that, like, the actual – two-parter that opens the show the actual episode one and two is like a way better like pilot for the show than this episode or series of shorts that become an episode if only because this episode is is pretty much just a recap of like what you've already seen of spider-man that feels much more for actual like people who have never seen the origin of spider-man before like actual kids whose first exposure is this and then the next episode is actually what introduces the premise of the show and the take on the show and the major characters and everything like that. Cause this is very squarely focused on like Peter Parker and everything. So like, I only bring that up to say that if you are just decided to dive into the show and you watch this one episode and it's like, I'm not feeling this. I don't feel like this episode is very representative of what the show actually is probably because it had to be six shorts on YouTube released before the show started without like you know actually like spoiling anything from the show because they wanted people to watch the show on tv so like it's a weird thing i don't envy them for having to to do stuff like this but it's still fun because you know spidey's origin is fun even if you've seen it a billion times so i mean i think that's a thing all of us who are very familiar with spider-man need to like check ourselves on because like 
this episode isn't made for people who've watched seven different series of Spider-Man. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, so like right. any series that involves Spider-Man is at some point going to have to acknowledge how he got his powers, whether it's at the very beginning or somewhere in the series. I think this episode is good. I think it's very basic when observed by eyes like ours. You know what yeah, I mean? Sure. But I think if you were to show this to a kid, it wouldn't feel or that's almost patronizing. I think if you show this to somebody who has not watched a Spider-Man series before, it will feel like part of the show that they're about to watch. Yeah. I think you could even have a kid watch it who's seen the Tom Holland movies and maybe won't even go forward with this show. And it works for the Tom Holland movies, too, as a little precursor to that because it's just the basics, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It's cool. It's fun. I think it's funny that you mentioned like, yeah, it works better as an episode, maybe not so much as shorts, because when it originally aired on YouTube, they weren't all dropped at the same time. They were actually spread out over six days with like a really big gap between the first short and the second short, I think, because it ran between June 28th and July 29th, 2017. So I think there really was like almost a month in between the first one and the rest of them, which is weird. I don't understand why they did yeah, that. I really, I really think that was a bad choice. I mean, I, I know that you know, it's not technically their pilot, but it is part of the show. And I think that one, I, I'm always curious about how much something like this does end up on like a nine year olds, you know, YouTube being like YouTube searching. I don't actually know. Like, I don't know if this is actually a, a successful model. I get that they, they, you know, if you're going to have a YouTube channel, like you need to have content on it. So I get having things on there, but mm -hmm. I don't think this works very well as shorts that are coming out over the course of a month. I think it makes way more sense for it all to, to happen together. And so it's like weird to me that you would drop the very first chunk of this, which we'll get to, and then just be like, all right, tune in a week and a half from now like, yeah. <laughs> or a week from, you know, like, or okay, I guess. Yeah. Like, is that is that selling anybody, even a kid? I don't know. Right, yeah, because I think the first one dropped, like, like on the 28th, and then it was, like, almost a month after it, and then the last, like, five were, like, one day after the other. Like, it's really bizarre. I would have expected, if they're going to do shorts like this, I would have expected, not again, not knowing enough, I would have expected them to all drop at the same time or drop daily. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That, to me, feels like it would make sense for something where you're dropping, like, three-minute episodes, but... Yeah, really weird. What do I know? Somebody let me know. I, I'm actually curious. Really, really weird. Don't get it. Oh, well. Now you can watch it on Disney+, Plus. so who cares? Yep. <laughs> I guess. This, uh, this episode was written by the showrunner, Kevin Shinnick. He actually has, a, has had a really interesting career. So he was formerly a Broadway actor, and he also was the writer and director of the Spider-Man Live tour. This tour that was from Radio City Music Hall that ran like around 2002, 2003. Do you remember that at all? No. It was like, I mean, I guess it was in conjunction with the movie and everything. My understanding of it, I like have vague memories of like hearing about it or maybe seeing an ad for it or something like that. Like it was never a thing that I think came to my city or anything like that. I don't think it had a very long run, but it was one of those things where it's like predominantly just a stunt show. Sure. Like I, I think there is a plot to it. Like you can, if you look up stuff about it, there are people who play like Mary Jane and Betty Brant and stuff like that. And I think Green Goblin is in it or something, but it's not like Spider-Man turn off the dark. Like it isn't an entire Broadway production. It's pretty much just a way to showcase somebody doing cool flips and stuff like that, which is cool. It's more, yeah, more akin to like a like a circusy type thing with a narrative sort of attached to it. Exactly. Like a Disney on Ice. Disney on Ice has a story. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, so you know, he's got interesting Spider-Man roots on stage, which is fascinating to me. 
The other thing, too, like, he has written and directed on a number of TV shows, but what his experience is in is fascinating because he wrote and directed on Robot Chicken, when I think he actually won an Emmy for writing on Robot Chicken, <laughs> interestingly. I'd buy um, it. I feel like Robot Chicken has, a, has way more accolades than people would expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, it has a lot of a lot of good people, you know, working on it, too, so I get it. He's also written on Ugly Americans, the Mad reboot, not like Mad TV, but the most recent Mad, uh, like kind of mostly animated show, I think, as well as Avengers Assemble. And currently he's writing for the in-production Star Wars Detours show. I don't even know what Star Wars Detours is. What is that? I know they just announced like 1,800 different Star Wars shows. It's not one of those. It's something that (laughs) was already being worked on. Maybe it was a thing that like started to happen, but then like got shuttered or something. But it's like a comedy, a Star Wars comedy thing. Oh, Um, okay. I don't know if if it was like an official show, if it was a web exclusive thing or not. His credit said pre-production for it or in production. So whatever it is, it's not a thing that's been released yet anyway. Sure. But it's mostly comedy that he's worked in, it, mostly adult comedy, actually, uh, which is which is kind of interesting to me. You know, he decided to like, pivot to superhero stuff. I think that's kind of cool. And I'm fascinated to see if that like provides sort of a, a different sort of voice to this show as it goes along. Just having like that kind of background rather than just like all action kids shows, you know. Mm-hmm. He's also voiced a number of characters uh, like on other shows. We can get into that when he appears on this show because he actually has a credit on this show at a certain point, uh, I think in this season. So we'll, cool. we'll probably get to that sooner than later. We can dive into that then. Um, and he's also written for a bunch of comics too. He's written for Avenging Spider-Man. He's written for Batman. He wrote for Superior Carnage and much more. So I like I like that uh, Spider-Man comic titles. You could almost at this point create like a Spider-Man comic title generator and just, like, insert certain terms and come out with something that probably has happened. Because, like, Superior Carnage is just, like, a mix of <laughs> other Spider-Man title names. Yep. <laughs> Uncanny Venom. <laughs> Maybe. Probably. You know? <laughs> Fantastic Octopus. <laughs> sure. I'll, I'll buy them all. Why not? Why not? Why not? So this uh, this episode or series of shorts was uh, written by Dan Duncan. He is actually the supervising director of this show. He was also the supervising director of the Guardians of the Galaxy series. So already some crossover there. He also worked in storyboards on Ultimate Spider-Man, Hulk and the Agents of Smash, and Justice League versus the Fatal Five, which I think was a, was an animated film. That sounds fun. So for this show. I'm going to organize our actors a little bit differently and try to spread them out because similarly to when we were covering Spectacular Spider-Man very early on in our lives, they introduce and seed a lot of characters from the jump and then they continue to introduce characters. So I'm going to spotlight, you know, anywhere from like three to five voice actors each episode and mention other characters who get introduced because I don't want to not acknowledge that big characters are showing up. It's just that they work with a big cast from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Naturally, Peter Parker. We got to talk about our Peter here, our Spider-Man. It was voiced by Robbie Damon, who weirdly I thought, and I don't know why, and I can't wait to find out someday. I thought until like yesterday that this person's name was Robbie Draymond. And I have probably Google searched that so many times and Google has probably just corrected it without any fanfare that I didn't even notice. So sorry for how many times I probably said your name wrong, Robbie Damon, on our show. Anyway, 
Um, aside from voice acting Peter and Spider-Man, most of his meaty voice credits are in English dubs of anime series, such as voicing Tuxedo Mask in Viz's dub of Sailor Moon, which unbelievably was his first voiceover role. <laughs> I'm like blown away that his first voiceover role was Tuxedo Mask in Sailor Moon, because that's a big role. Is that um, the, is, is Viz's dub, is that like the one that ever, that our generation would know? Or is that, is that a more recent the, one? It's the more recent one, because he also oh. does the voice for Sailor Moon Crystal. Gotcha. So like he is the voice of of Tuxedo Mask in both of those. So not yeah no this was this is like the 2014 I think dub. That makes more sense. So was like was also... he voicing Tuxedo Mask when he was like 10 or something? Okay. No, 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 no. Well, that's what was so surprising to me was that his first voice credit was in like 2014. But his background, I mean, one he's he is pretty young, um, just generally speaking. But his background is in theater, and so I don't mm. know. Like, I don't know what prompted him to get into voice work. I just know that he got into voice work only, like, a couple years before that. Gotcha. I think, yeah. So I was surprised, and then it all made sense when I looked a little bit further into it. He also voices Smokey Brown in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Gil Thunder in Seven Deadly Sins alongside Max Middleman, who we'll talk about in just a moment, Moomin Rider in One Punch Man, and Spider-Man in Marvel Future Avengers, which does make sense given when that was in production. Yeah, yeah, we need to we need to watch that, I guess, and because he was also Spider Man in Marvel Disc Wars, right? The dub of it, as far as we know. I, I oh I've... man, I forgot about those credits. I'm not sure he was actually. I think that was someone else, wasn't it? We we said that it was Robbie Damon, and I think from the clips that I saw, it sounds like Robbie Damon. But okay, I... yeah. <laughs> I uh, I was looking back at old notes because I always try to like check to see if we've mentioned people before. I must have just missed it, but I also remember those those cast credits being an absolute nightmare. So. Yep, they were. They really yep. were. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So he also has a bunch of really rad video game voice credits. He's the voice of the underground in Spider-Man Miles Morales. So I don't know. He must have just done a bunch of different yeah. voices for those characters. Sure. He's Thane and Nova in Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, which is a game that actually comes up quite a bit in these uh, in these voice credits, these like more modern voice credits. Hunter the Cheetah in the yep. Spyro Reignited trilogy. Yep. He's Prompto in Final Fantasy XV, Goro in Persona 5, Spider-Man in Marvel Powers United VR and Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, which again makes sense based on when those were produced, and a bunch of other things. So, cool dude, good at what he does. Yeah, he is. I like him as Spider-Man. He's a kind of a quintessential Peter Parker sound and voice, I think. I don't really... I say that for a lot of them, and I have a hard time really figuring out what that means, but it's just like, I don't know, that sort of like youthful flair that a lot of Peter Parkers have, you know? I mean, yeah, I think in this case specifically, he has he his performance is really dynamic, which works for the high energy version of Peter yeah. that we get here. So I like what he does with it because it is sort of at times almost manic is a strong word, but like he does the excitable Peter really well and balances it with the like serious Peter in a way that that serves this particular version of Peter. Oh, yeah, you know, his anime background makes a lot of sense when you put yep. it that way. Because, yeah, because he, he does a lot of, like, kind of the very anime dub, like, fluctuations of his voices and talking very fast and stuff like that that, you know, you have to do as a dub actor. But it just works for this type of Peter because Peter talks very fast and has a lot of fluctuations in his voice and stuff yeah. because he's so awkward. <laughs> and this is his, like, longest-running, like, Western animated credit so i mean it makes Mm. sense that that like most of his stuff is in anime and this has such a dynamic dynamic feel to it yeah didn't even think about that but that makes a lot of sense 
So Harry Osborne is voiced by Max Middleman, who I just mentioned a moment ago. Um, we've also talked about him ever so briefly as the voice of Gwen's friend, who is definitely not Peter Parker in Marvel <laughs> Rising Initiation. Oh so, God. you know, Max, sorry, you weren't Peter, even though you were Peter <laughs> in that in that series. We talked about him in our episode 19, which was our spooky ghost spider Halloween episode, which is the first time we talked about Marvel Rising, which also feels appropriate to bring up here because, mm-hmm. and we'll get into it, but the the Marvel Rising series, this series, the Guardians of the Galaxy series, the Avengers series that was happening, they all feel like part of the same universe based on the sort of specific aesthetic that these shows have. Yeah, Definitely. I, you know, I should go back. I wonder if, if Gwen's friend, Kevin, I wonder if he even looks like Peter Parker from this show. I want to check because I forget what he looks like. I don't remember, actually. I mean, it couldn't have been too far off because these are like, it's a very simplistic style. Even though I think yeah. it, it, it has a lot of merit and I get why they do it. It's mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily produce like wild anime takes on different characters. Anyway. Yeah. So... Max Middleman also has a lot of big English anime dub roles, and some of his notable ones are ones that he would be doing alongside Robbie Damon, which is pretty cool. So he is the voice of Saitama, who's the main character in One Punch Man. He's King, who is one of the main characters, like the main cast members in Seven Deadly Sins. And he's Makoto in Marvel's Future Avengers, who I believe is like the main kid in that show. If not, he's one of the main kids in that show. Cool. He also voices Alex O'Hearn in Ultimate Spider-Man, Jimmy Olsen in Justice League Action, Superman in DC Superhero Girls, Lion-O in Thundercats Roar, and provided voices for the Spider-Man video game, which is going to be the case for a lot of people working on this show. A natural, natural crossover there. Cool. We meet two Smythes. We meet Spencer Smythe and we meet Alistair Smythe. Uh, Spencer Smythe is voiced by somebody we know very, very well, so we won't talk about him very long, but he is voiced by Ben Diskin. We've talked about Ben Diskin previously as the voice of Eddie Brock in the Spectacular Spider-Man series. First mentioned him in our episode 12 covering the premiere of Spectacular. A notable credit since then is that he is the voice of Jack in the English dub of Beastars. Jack is the Labrador friend of Lagoshi. Love him. He's so fun. He's so fun in that role. (laughs) (laughs) Ben Diskin's great. Just he's great. He's so, yeah, he's so fun. He's so fun. And then Alistair Smythe is voiced by, and I, I looked, one of my resolutions, everybody, for the year 2021, one of my podcast resolutions is to actually look up how to say people's names. I know, I know, I'm changing, changing the script here, but uh, I did look this up. This is voiced <laughs> by Jason Spizak, and I'm glad I looked it up because that's not how I would have said it. <laughs> wow. Nope. Nope. Yep, yep, yep. So Jason Spizak provides the voice for Deadpool in the Marvel Disc Wars and Marvel Future Avengers series. He's Razor in Green Lantern, the animated series, and Hal Jordan and Kilowog in DC Superhero Girls, alongside Max Middleman. Uh, he is Wally Weston, Young Justice, Justin Hammer in Avengers Assemble, Grandmaster in Guardians of the Galaxy, and Joker in the Batman Hush animated film. He's also done a bunch of video games. He is the voice of Scorpion in the PS4 Spider-Man game, Loki in Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, and he's the Penguin in the Telltale Batman game. Couple fun credits just because they're fun. We are introduced to Bonesaw, who is voiced yes. by, here we go, Steve Bloom, the, whose are name you kidding I me? never said correctly. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I feel like I've heard other podcasts say Steve Blum. Oh my I, god. <laughs> 
I'm I'm sure you have. I'm certain. But I I uh, the, what I did was I went to a YouTube series that I think is called Behind the Voice Actors, where they introduced themselves. That was my strategy. Uh. So voiced by Steve Bloom. We've talked about Steve Bloom a number of times. Uh, we talked about him as the Green Goblin, the voice of the Green Goblin, when we discussed the spectacular Spider-Man in our episode 15, and as the Chameleon in our episode 17. Oh, I'm and so then... embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> we are nowhere near the only ones. <laughs> and finally, the last actor I'm going to talk about here, the wrestling cameraman is voiced by Stan Lee. And he's Stan Lee. We know who that yeah. is. Yep. <laughs> a couple characters introduced that we'll talk about later as far as voice acting goes. Liz Allen is introduced in this episode. Uncle Ben and Aunt May are also introduced in this episode. We'll talk specifically about Ben and May Parker next week. Cool. Well, since these are all broken into the uh, like six different shorts, we'll, we'll kind of tell you where the breaks between the different shorts are you know not that it matters but just just for just for funds and funds and completionists sake because uh, they also all have different names too right i think it's interesting for that reason even though i don't think it makes sense to break them up into shorts i do think the fact that they are given specific names and are broken up based on those names is worth mentioning this is a super basic like spider-man origin story so as far as like the details of what we talk about i'm sure you and i aren't gonna like dig super deep into the the events of the episode Mm -hmm. but there are like some thematic things that they like touch on even just within the episode itself that i'm excited to to at least dip into a little bit totally yeah so our first short or chapter if you watched it all at once i want to call chance but i was informed right before recording that it is actually just called introduction which is a very boring name so I will just, in my head, always call it Chance, because it makes more <laughs> sense thematically. It does. It <laughs> does. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll explain why uh, very shortly. Yep. Um, so the episode opens with Spider-Man swinging around the city, reflecting on how his life changed overnight, which immediately cuts us into a flashback. We flashback to Oscorp, where Peter and his classmates are on a field trip. Peter Parker's excited, and he draws a concerted reaction from Harry Osborn, who is his best friend, who recently transferred to a school for geniuses called Horizon High, which will be very important for later. But as the group is kind of walking through the facility, Peter is, like, being such a nerd for the science corporation, dude, dork, and he uh, snaps a picture of a red and blue spider, and an alarm goes off, and he's like, oh god, did I do that? <laughs> But, uh, but a nearby worker who's sort of, like, you know, dealing with this stuff in, like, a really cool futuristic, like, suit that yeah. I think is supposed to be kind of like a hazmat suit. But it looks like mm-hmm. some it looks like alien armor almost, like, the way that it is. It's really cool. But the nearby worker kind of shares, like, no, calm down. Y'all are fine. There's just some, you know, just a few, like, spiders have escaped containment from this scientific facility. Nothing can go wrong with that, right? And Peter's like, that's not a big deal, even though he literally just saw a spider and could have shared that information, but decides not to. (laughs) But he's pulled back towards the group by Spencer Smythe, his teacher, who's clearly exasperated with Peter's excitement. Yes. So we we get I think we get two things here. We get one thing that's very, very expected, which is Peter Parker ending up somewhere where a spider's going to bite him. We know that's going to happen. That's the expected part. I think the unexpected part is that we learn this distinction between where Harry is and where Peter is. And I like that we get something familiar and something unfamiliar. I like that that's the way they start this off. I do, too. So, Spencer Smythe uh, is all... 
<laughs> he he does suck, and I will have a lot to say about him. Not even in like a Jeff sucks kind of way. If you listen to our Spider Woman stuff, but in a I I think it's fascinating what they're doing with him because it's not at all what I would have expected them to do. Sure, it's not subtle. Spencer Smythe sucks and is meant to. So Spencer <laughs> and, and all of this is setting that up. Like th- that's what he is doing in this scene is being set up as like we don't like you. <laughs> yeah, well, so, because it, it, I, before I knew who he was, I was like. Why is the teacher who's bringing students to a science place on a field trip to learn about science so angry and mean to the student who is excited about science, which is the subject of your class? What is wrong with you? (laughs) (laughs) We'll get there. (laughs) More in the next episode, but we definitely get there. This just establishes how we're supposed to feel about him, even though it doesn't establish what we know about him. So. All this is just like emotional setup. So Spencer is also annoyed that Harry is hanging out with the group at all because Harry doesn't go to the school, right? Like he's not a Midtown student anymore. That I actually do understand. Yeah, and so sure. basically what he does is he says, Peter and Harry, you are not allowed to hang out. You are troublemakers together. I was that kid in school. I was never allowed to hang out with my friends on any field trip. So I empathize. So he splits Peter and Harry up. He partners Harry with his son, Alistair. Ding, ding, ding. You should know that name probably if you watch the 90s mm-hmm. show especially. Mm-hmm. And he pairs Peter up with Liz Allen, who is very annoyed to be paired up with Peter. Yeah. The, Alistair's design is really weird only because Alistair looks like a classic Harry Osborne design. And Harry yes. Osborne does not look like a Harry Osborne design Harry Osborne looks nothing like you would expect Harry Osborne to look like. I do not dislike the aesthetic of this show. I expect a lot of people do dislike the aesthetic of the show. Mm-hmm. I don't like their hairy design because I think weird. it's confusing. Yeah, it is. Well, it wouldn't be so bad if you didn't have a character that looked like how you how everyone associates Harry uh, Harry Potter is what I almost said. Uh, he looks more like Harry Potter than he does Harry Osborne. He does. Yeah. No, <laughs> it wouldn't be so bad if it, if they didn't have another character that looks exactly like Harry Osborne, like yeah. classic Harry Osborne alongside new Harry Osborne. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't be bothered by changing him that radically. But it's just like then whenever you see Alistair, who's got the red hair and almost like this, the exact same kind of haircut that spectacular Spider-Man Harry Osborne has, like just without the weird lines. And also the same facial structure. He even kind of dresses like some iterations of Harry. Like he's literally in like what almost looks like a school uniform, except he goes to a public school with no school uniform. So it's like, it's just really bizarre. Yeah. And I totally get what you're saying about like the specific relation between the design of Alistair and Harry. I think for me, and I'm not opposed to changing the design of characters. I'm, I'm for it when it, when it is inspired in this case, because of the aesthetic of the show, I think you have to rely on familiar characteristics to a degree, right? Like if you have iconic characters, it smooths the process and it it expedites the process of exposition. If you can do that, all of that is coming from a place though, of people who've watched a lot of Spider-Man, they introduce the characters just fine. So I guess it doesn't ultimately matter, but it is confusing yeah. for people who know who these characters are in other contexts. Yeah. Anywho, as an Oscorp scientist begins a presentation about the scientific method, which is going to come up over and over and over in this episode, uh-huh. Peter fails to contain his excitement, basically like finishing this guy's lines for him, which draws further annoyed glances throughout the entire group. And then when when Spencer Smythe like chastises Peter for this, Harry tells a joke at Spencer's expense, which then turns Spencer on Harry. So now Spencer is annoyed with both Harry and Peter even more than he was 
before. And we, as the audience, are like, but we like them, so we don't like you, Spencer. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> it's not a good joke that everyone laughs at. Like, I'm glad that Harry gets to dunk on Spencer Smythe because he kind of sucks. But it's like, scientifically speaking, Mr. Smythe, that's not possible. And it's like, oh, ha, 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 you're a scientist, and he dunked you over science, I guess. But, like, no, high schoolers aren't going to laugh at that. It's not that funny. No. But... It's fine. They're just <laughs> laughing at the fact that he talked back to him. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And it's like, what is he going to do? He's, does it, he's not your yeah. student anymore. You can't, like, do anything. You can't exactly. discipline him. So, yeah, okay. You can't I feel kick a him better. out of Oscorp. <laughs> I feel a little, better, a little bit better about that, actually. It's like, you're on Harry's turf. He can say whatever you want. He can kick you around. And you can't do anything. Actually, yeah. I'm okay with that. And that's what they're laughing at and recognizing. Okay. <laughs> So shortly after this interaction, the Oscorp scientist asks for volunteers to, I don't fully understand what's happening here, but it doesn't matter. He asks for volunteers to examine Oscorp's new robot. But it is worth noting that this is a robot that Oscorp is developing. So Peter shares with us the audience. This is this happens a lot in this particular episode, and I do get the sense this will happen a lot over the course of the series, the sort of inner monologue that we're used to from the 90s show. But in this case, it tends to be... I think a lot more, at least from what we've seen, a lot more like narrative type stuff and like mm-hmm. filling in blanks than just like Peter's thought processes, which I'm cool with because in this case it it serves a really good purpose and explains why I think this chapter should be called Chance. So yep. um, Peter shares with us the audience that a scientist's greatest frustration is chance. And the way that he describes chance is a series of unique circumstances that produce an event of unusual magnitude, such as what happens next. So... Harry is selected to be one of the volunteers to examine this robot. But Harry, obviously, you know, being familiar with Oscorp and knowing that his friend is a total geek for this stuff, is like, why don't you let Peter go instead? So then Peter steps up with Liz and he starts to, like, reach for some sort of hand console thing. Liz is like, wait, hold on, let's switch because I'm a lefty. So then they swap places and then one of the escaped spiders drops right on Peter's hand where Liz's hand would have been or where Alistair or Harry's hand would have been. So I like the fact that he introduces us to this concept of chance and then they illustrate it right there and then with a number of, you know, very ordinary things that could have just happened anyway that result in something spectacular. Yeah, I like that too. I, I I like that breakdown a lot. It definitely, it adds a little bit of like, magic to not like literal magic but yeah like, it, sort it's of, the opposite of magic if we're talking like spider-man magic versus not <laughs> yeah i mean it adds magic to this like in terms of like storytelling right, magic right, right. like it just makes it feel it makes something that's just like almost a mundane accident that just becomes something spectacular makes it feel like it has a lot more weight to it when you can track like oh this is how all the stars had to align to get to this point where this can happen like that it adds like a lot of interesting weight to it that like is always there in every spider-man situation but i like that they sort of highlight that like isn't it just wild that all of this stuff had to happen for peter to accidentally get bit by a spider at this point in time in this specific way you know um yeah i like that they frame it i think it's really cool that they frame it the way that they do exactly yeah yeah i dig that a lot so as we expect peter is bit by the spider he begins to feel ill like like pukey ill it seems like which i guess we've seen in other ones before and he rushes away from the group trying to find a bathroom harry like directs him to one and then is like oh wait hold on that bathroom's under construction but peter doesn't hear him and so when peter finds the door is locked he ends up surprising himself by just like smashing through the door and this chapter ends with him saying what is happening to me which makes sense 
Mm-hmm. That welt on his hand is disgusting. Gross. Yep. <laughs> Hate it. <laughs> Hello, amazing friends. We just wanted to take a quick moment to shout out our spectacular enough patrons, Katie, Joe, Mike, Flux, Eric, Carl, and Lillian. If you would like to join our Patreon, we have a ton of great bonus content waiting for you. We have our Spider Bites, where we talk about pretty much whatever we want in the Spider-Man universe, such as comics, like the current Miles Morales series, and classics like Kraven's Last Hunt. Sometimes we do deep dives into Spider-Man stuff, like our miniseries on the unmade Spider-Man movies. Or we spin off into other topics, like the Blade movies or the Firestar comics. Sometimes we'll do some bonus content just because we happen to have it, like Peaks Behind the Curtain or how we make certain episodes. And if you join us at the $5 Spectacular level, you also get access to our After Dark commentaries where we let loose and talk about shows that aren't Spider-Man related without a filter. Shows like Gargoyles, Batman Beyond, Muppet Babies, and more. Ultimately, these are the types of things that we're going to talk about anyway, so recording it and making it available on Patreon is our way of saying thank you so much for supporting this show and letting us do the types of things we really want to do. Whatever tier you opt into, thank you so much. Whether you're an avid listener or just stopping by, we appreciate that too. From your friendly neighborhood podcasters, thank you. Yeah, so we cut to the really elaborate opening sequence with a great theme song and some cool animation that, like, introduces, like, the world and the characters. No, it's just a title card. Just one title card. And it's very <laughs> quick. I, I'm not I, – I don't blame it on the show or anything because that's all – I think all of the Disney XD, like, Marvel shows are doing that. I think Ultimate Spider-Man did the same thing. They just – very few shows like doing opening sequences now in general. So, like – I'm more surprised when I see a show still have one than not have one these days, to be honest. <laughs> I wrote that the way I did specifically for you. I know. Oh, I know you did. I know. I, I know. personally don't mind it. I like opening themes, but I don't miss them when they're not there. Like, it's mm-hmm. just like a treat for me. It's like a whole separate, separate. It doesn't affect the show for me. I like the the little um the musical sting that they have for Spider-Man, his little, his little theme music. It's, I mean, it's almost like very typically superheroic like it's very much like in line with the a lot of the marvel themes for superheroes yeah um so i mean which isn't bad or anything it's just you know it's not anything it's not like a a very new or unique take on it it's just that basic orchestral theme but i think it's a good one it works for this show yeah i mean it, it it's everything you just said you know it's not not spider blood but uh it's still good yeah <laughs> so origin segment number two observation so uh, inside and feverish, Peter rips off his clothes, <laughs> which doesn't I was I thought him I thought he was going to like get like Harry was going to walk in on him in his underwear or something or like he was going to get embarrassed or something because he took his clothes off. But him taking off his clothes like doesn't actually pay off in any way. He just like takes off his clothes. So I guess the audience can see his ripped bod, I guess, but he doesn't even comment on it. I don't know. It's weird. He's in his underwear this whole time. <laughs> I th- yeah. I don't, I don't think it's meant to serve anything other than to be a, a result of him being like sick and feverish. Yeah. But he does discover that his hands are sticky. Like he, it's, it's stuck to the paper towel holder. He also realizes so he can see without his glasses and also that, wow, he can walk on the ceiling. 
But of course, just as what happens in many Spider-Man iterations, someone walks in to this room and has no peripheral vision and doesn't see that someone is on the ceiling. <laughs> um, so Harry walks into the bathroom looking for Peter, I guess doesn't notice Peter's clothes on the floor. He just walks oh. in. <laughs> right? Like... I you didn't even think to look if they were there. You don't see them on the floor in that shot. So, like, you know, you could argue, like, I don't know, he threw him into a bathroom stall or something like that. Well, but, like, you saw him rip his clothes off. They should yeah. just be laying on the floor. The other thing, too, though, is, like, there is a bit of geography to discuss here as far as, like, how the scene is, like, the actual set is is made. Like, made. I, I'm saying this as if it's, like, a CGI constructed set. But, like... The the way the bathroom is, it's the kind that has, like, the door and then the wall. And I don't think Harry actually walks fully into the bathroom. Doesn't he, like, step in a couple steps and, like, yeah. call out to Peter? So That's fair. It's like a corridor kind if of. If Peter's, yeah. like, on the ceiling on the other side of that, like, sort of weird privacy wall, mm-hmm. I guess that's sort of – I mean, it's – again, it's still the same thing. Somebody's standing on the ceiling and nobody notices. But at least in this case, like – it makes a little bit more sense than than like the movies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it definitely, yeah, just because of the layout, it does make way more sense than pretty much any other iteration that we've ever seen of this happen in. So, like, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> it's just funny that it happened again. We just commented it on this last to. week. It's and staple. it's like, of course it comes in again. <laughs> but, yeah, so once Harry leaves, not, not seeing Peter anywhere, Peter redresses and runs right out of the Oscorp building. Um, once he's outside, he's, you know, trying to make sense of this this weird situation. And he's doing so by recalling the scientific method, which is how we've got the titles for all of these shorts. So he thinks of observation, hypothesis, prediction, experimentation, and conclusion. So sort of collecting. Oh, and he comes to this. Uh, he, 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 like, gets these ideas by looking at a bunch of statues of scientists that are outside of Oscorp, by the way, which I think is really cute. It's like Marie Curie and, like... Who is like Charles Darwin? Is Einstein might be there or something? I don't even remember. But he loves his science. He's a science fanboy. But uh, yeah, so he's collecting his observations and he notes that many of his new abilities seem like those he'd attribute to a spider like the one that bit him. Yeah, like he, he starts to connect the dots a little bit. But because this is like the observation phase, he starts just like collecting the things he's noticing. So he obviously noticed all the stuff that happened in the bathroom, but then as he's leaving Oscorp and walking away, he's like nearly hit by a car, but he experiences his spider sense for the first time. So that's an observation that he sort of like notes mentally. Then he jumps like an incredible height to avoid the car and he lands on the side of a building. So he's like, okay, I can do that too. And then he starts sort of working forward and thinking like, if I can do all these things and if these are all things a spider can do, Maybe I can do other things a spider can do, like, oh, I don't know, be super strong. So then he tests his proportional spider strength in the weirdest way possible by smashing through the wall of a building. Because (laughs) why not? (laughs) I hope it was an abandoned building. (laughs) That would suck otherwise. (laughs) I know, right? Yeah, I don't don't really know what he just smashed smashed into, but uh, (laughs) smashes into a building. I like this. This is a really short sort of chapter in, in the chapters of it all. But I like that that it establishes like what his mantra is moving forward. Cause like the scientific method is like what's keeping him sort of from freaking out. Like he even says panic isn't one of the steps. Mm-hmm. And then he starts just collecting information, which I think really supports what the creators were saying about like science is going to be a focal point. Yeah. I think it works. I think it is, it, it is like considering how 
how, how they aren't deviating at all from the source material, you know, like the basic typical Spider-Man story. Like considering how, how samey it is to everything we've ever seen, I like this way of approaching it, like the structure for it, because it does give it. It, it, I guess it, it allows them to be able to sort of like compartmentalize different parts of the story and sort of like, you know, insert these little chapters in it and be able to tell the whole origin story in this one 30 minute uh, little story because you can sort of like cut through time and, 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 and uh, kind of jump a little bit without it feeling weird because it's structured and segmented so clearly and always sort of marked with the scientific method structure, which I think is like it's a clever way to handle it. Yeah, it's a very, very organized approach to telling this particular story. Yeah. So that that was our, our origin number two segment. Our origin number three segment is called Hypothesis, next stage in the scientific method. And this one opens in Peter's bedroom. And a lot of this segment is through a camera. Like he now that he's made his observations, he's sort of like doing the scientist thing of like recording his thoughts along the way. And he does this through video. So he begins to record his observations and starts to formulate a hypothesis about how his new powers might affect him. <laughs> Weird hypothesis. I wouldn't say it's super strong, but fine. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a storytelling element, not actually science. So we'll let it happen. His hypothesis is that he'll be able to use his powers to his advantage. Sure. Okay. okay. <laughs> Very general, whatever. As an example for himself but also the audience he shares a video that he took shortly beforehand of him quickly scaling a new york apartment building basically doing what you would expect of like jumping here jumping there climbing a little bit jumping to the roof bada bing bada boom i like that like on his little whiteboard that he has for you know when he's recording himself he like made it a point to print out a headshot of himself just to tape up onto the whiteboard next to like his little notes and everything. <laughs> like I am the subject of this. It's cute. Yeah, yeah I dig it. <laughs> so as he's translating these observations into his hypothesis, he does realize that there are things spiders can do that he can't do. So he says, spiders can spin webs, but I can't seem to do that. But I bet I could replicate it through science. And I think he even calls like his bedroom his lab. He's like, I could create that in my lab. <laughs> and then the video that he's recording cuts to him working on what appears to be an early version of his web fluid and a web shooter. But it all explodes all over him in a classic Spider-Man moment. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so later on a rooftop, Peter tells his video that he's pretty sure he's worked out his web shooter's kinks and... Uh, Proves that by creating a web ball that he immediately hits like a baseball with a crowbar, like, and I guess like breaks a window probably somewhere. So, <laughs> and cool. calls it a touchdown because he's a nerd. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of this chapter is pretty much in line with the idea that he's exploring the webbing situation. We see him in his bedroom creating a hammock that holds his weight. He makes himself like a, a set of boxing gloves and he attempts to catch a fly before he ultimately shoots himself in the face. Har har. And then we cut to outside where he's like, I wonder if maybe my webbing can actually support my own body weight like it would a spider. And then he actually successfully swings around the city for a little bit with a very crude spider web mask and then ultimately crashes into a wall. And that's kind of how we end the chapter, basically being like, oh, the swinging, it has begun. Yeah. That spider web mask is so silly. It's like, better protect my identity. And I mean, it's it's very comic booky. It's basically like the size yeah. of a domino mask. Mm -hmm. It's just funny because it's just like, you couldn't, 
you didn't have like a hat or like a, a, anything at home you had to use your webbing for it. Okay, buddy. <laughs> but but that cleverly it like comes into play later, I will say. So it's not. Yeah, they it's use not, that. They do use it. The next origin, number four, is prediction. So he's continuing to test his web swinging abilities. Um, and then Peter tries to kind of come up with an alter ego name. Uh, his options are Webface, Bug Boy, and Daddy Longlegs. <laughs> his only issue with Daddy Longlegs, by the way, is just that he's not tall enough. Yep. Not the fact that he'd be called Daddy. <laughs> Calls himself you know. Spider-Man. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, not convinced of of any of these names, Peter kind of begins working on the prediction stage of the scientific method. So still masked, he just kind of walks down the street and runs into a fortune teller. You know, that staple in Spider-Man's origin story where he goes to a fortune teller. It's so (laughs) random. It's fun. It's just totally random. (laughs) At first, I thought it was going to be like a Madam Web reference or something like that, but it didn't seem like that's what they were going for. That would be so... (laughs) We can't get into all that yet. <laughs> That's too well, much. Thought, this is this is episode zero. Well, I think maybe like the name on her sign would just say Madam Web or something like that. Like it wouldn't actually you know be her. Just just like a fun <laughs> like a for fun reference. Sure. But maybe they're actually going to introduce her in the show. I actually have no idea. Who knows? I don't either. But I would expect they would save it for, for yeah for using her later. Yeah. Well, random or not, a couple of, of important points happens uh, with Peter's interaction with this fortune teller. Um, he initially rejects her, uh, but then he doubles back when she's like, I see fame and fortune in your future. And he's like, okay. So, you know, he's, he extends his palm because she wants to read his palm. But then his web shooters get set off, of course, because anything touching his hand anywhere near it is going to set him off right now so uh, she gets all webbed up she's actually covered in web and she's like this is weird are you an entertainer and peter's like i mean i could be (laughs) and thus begins his idea to use his powers to become a household name Um, when the fortune teller is like hey by the way i'm like covered in your webbing right now when is this going to go away? And he's like, I don't actually know. But then his mask starts to dissolve right then and there, which clues him in that it takes about an hour for his webbing to res- to uh, dissolve. Yes. And and because his mask is dissolving and, and protecting his identity from the stranger that is the fortune teller, he runs away from her. <laughs> yeah, because she'd be like, oh, Peter Parker. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? This could literally be his neighbor. <laughs> like, how far did he go? We don't know. True. That's a good point. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> so determined to pursue this new fame and fortune idea, Peter decides he needs a full costume, which makes sense because his mask dissolved. <laughs> so back in his bedroom, he tests out a few costumes. We get like a funny Iron Man joke, like he has a he has like a cardboard box Iron Man head thing. Sure. And uh, ultimately settles on a red and blue sweatshirt, a pair of Aunt May's blue tights, which he insists are sweatpants. And a ski mask and some goggles. So that is his his first costume in this series. And we're actually going to see quite a bit of it. So I, I think that's kind of cool. I do too. I like that we see a lot of it. I actually don't really like the reference. Like kind of, it's kind of bef- right, the last one before he lands on that one is like like a Scarlet Spider-Man kind of reference suit that he like turns down. But it looks like way cooler than what he ends up deciding on. Like you could just remove the fanny pack that he's wearing with it. I think it's kind of weird because it's just like, how do you go from that to the, the, the ski mask and goggles and Aunt May's tights? I don't, you got a cool one right there. I mean, that's that's <laughs> the joke, I think, because it was a really cool costume. And doesn't he say like too intense, like and yeah. then switches to this? 
Yeah, it. Yeah, I mean that's. Yeah, I guess that's the joke. I just <laughs> thought it. I thought it was. I thought it was actually cool looking, and I was like, okay, well, all right, fine. <laughs> I get the joke, but it, I just like. I really like that costume. I thought it was cool. I agree. I thought it was really cool too. <laughs> I. I think. Uh... I think it would be a weird choice for his homemade costume, though. <laughs> I think if he chose it, we yeah. would be talking about how strange it is for him to have chosen that. Yeah. yeah. Especially because he's basically wearing a Spider-Man mask. Yep. That's the thing. It's sort of like, how did you get... I guess that's like, I don't know. It's a prototype one, and then he eventually makes it again. I, there's plenty of We're not supposed could, like, to think about it. it. The joke is that it is too good. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I know. I'm overthinking it. It's just cool. It's a cool suit. Yes. Put it in the next game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so ultimately, now that he's got a costume, he swings around town, he's brainstorming, and finally inspiration strikes when he sees a poster for the So You Want to Be a Wrestler competition. Of course, we get a joke in about the entire alley being covered with them and him not noticing. Ultimately, he notices, just like we would expect. Mm-hmm. They fake us out. They make us think it's not going to happen. And then yeah. it happens. I'm glad it does uh, because of the wrestler that he fights. So origin number five is experimentation. So at this So You Want to Be a Wrestler event, Peter introduces himself as the spider. So in his introduction video, which Stan Lee is filming, by the way, he's sort of like doing all his scientific talk and all this mumbo jumbo about the abilities of a spider, all of this like nerdy stuff before the cameraman interrupts to basically be like, it's, I actually like it because it's basically Stan Lee just like telling him to shut the fuck up and like look cool, (laughs) essentially. Show us what you can do, kid. Yeah, yeah. So that's cool. Then Peter's opponent is introduced and... Bonesaw is ready. Bonesaw. Bonesaw. <laughs> McGee? <laughs> why, of all the changes, <laughs> why go from McGraw to McGee? Either have a last name or don't. But like, yeah. They barely changed it, but changed it to something less cool. At first, I, I was like, <laughs> oh, maybe they're going to, you know, because like the original wrestler was Crusher Hogan. So, you know, they could have done like Bonesaw Hogan. It would have sounded dumb, but at least we would have been a <laughs> reference. But like. Yeah, why McGee? McGee sounds so dorky, which is funny because they they don't change. Like, otherwise, it's clearly like he's drawn to look like Randy Savage. The performance is a lot like Randy Savage. Like, it's it's really weird that they changed that one thing. So strange. But I'm so happy that Bonesaw is here. Oh, I'm so glad that they included him. Bonesaw is like (laughs) the best character to come out of the Raimi movies. Like the best original character. I I was going to say, wow. (laughs) Original. Original. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, (laughs) Alfred Molina's Doc Ock, like I wouldn't say he came out of those movies because Doc Ock already existed. But, you know, I think the best original character that those movies created (laughs) that came out of them was Bonesaw, who is ready very frequently. Always. Yes. So before the match begins, when Peter is still with the camera crew, a burglar runs past and there's a security dude chasing him. And as expected, Peter steps aside and says, not my problem. Burglar gives Peter a salute as he's leaving through the elevator. Peter brushes off the security guy who's basically being like, wow, thanks, buddy. And it's very much what you would come to expect if you were doing a traditional origin story. Yeah, so Peter and Bonesaw begin their match, and, you know, Bonesaw's coming after him and hits him with the chair. So Peter's like, okay, so if a chair is legal suddenly, I guess my web shooters are legal. So 
He uses all his Spider-Man abilities, shoots a bunch of web balls at him. He does, like, a lot of really cool, like, he does, like, a thing that I really, I really like the animation where he, like, jumps on Bonesaw and just, like, flips around his, like, thick neck mm-hmm. <laughs> just to, like, kind of confuse him. And with enough, like, dodging and, and whipping it around with his webs, like, the crowds are going wild. And it eventually just, like, defeats him really just kind of by exhausting him, ultimately, I would say. So Peter wins, and that's, that's cool. When Peter asks what he wins, it's like, oh, you know... You get, you won being the number one fighter. Yay. And here's a trophy. Yay. Like, oh, thought I was going to get money. Cool. Peter, I don't feel bad. You should have asked. Great. How do you, how is that literal? How is that not literally the first question that you ask? I love, I love the next thing though, because like, he's like, okay, thanks. And he gets the trophy. And then Stanley, the cameraman is like, hey buddy, we got to get a picture. And he says, we need a picture because you'll remember this day for the rest of your life. Oof. And we, a knowing audience, are sad because we know what that really means. Uh-huh. And if you're watching this all as one, they waste no time getting right next to what that actually means. Yep. Yep. Because that leads us right into the final origin short conclusion. So this sort of jumps forward a little bit. Um, Peter is reflecting on the trophy he won. He's observing that it's composed of a number of medals. Then he says that his Uncle Ben would have been proud of his trophy. And he says, I, I really, I really love what he says afterwards. I really like the quote. He says, but you know what else is made up of three different kinds of metal? And then we see a gunshot and we see a bullet and we see police cruisers lights. I think that's yes. really considering they probably, you know, can't show Uncle Ben being killed, and also they're expecting kids on YouTube to be watching this. I think this is really elegantly done. Yeah, I think it's really well done because yeah. they, I mean, considering this is the start of a YouTube video, if that's how you're watching it, and it's a cut in the full episode, if you're watching it that way, I mean, they're jumping, they've been doing so much jumping that they have to, in just a few moments and a few images, basically tell you where you're at. And I think they do it seamlessly. Yeah, I think it, it's great, too, because, you know, I think there's a little bit of a risk of there being, like, whiplash because it just goes so, like, somber so quickly. But because it's so kind of artfully presented to you, like, kind of, it, it's never stated outright. It's just sort of gradually presented to you through images that makes it very hard to not get what's going on, even if you're, like, a kid who's never heard the story before. Um, I think it just works really well. I think that's part of it, but I do think the overall construction of the episode also cushions you from whiplash. because. Sure. Even though I don't necessarily love their sort of like idea of this being shorts, they do break things up into almost like little vignettes and scenes that yeah. that are sort of they don't really fully. And I checked with the camera that he was using. They don't really ever commit to the timeline necessarily. So they do. You've already kind of been jumping a little bit. And I think that helps along with them doing this so well. Yeah, I fully agree. Fully agree. So as Peter is crying over this picture that he's looking at of him and Uncle Ben, which also, again, clues us in to something bad having happened, he briefly considers what Uncle Ben would have advised him in the situation. He says, Uncle Ben would have told me to find the lesson in all of this. And then he's like, but I'm too angry for that. So I'm not going to do that. And (laughs) he tells himself, I'm going to find out what I'm made of now. And he suits up and he heads out. (laughs) And those of us who know what's about to happen are like, oh, shit. Yeah. And I imagine that if you don't necessarily know what's going to happen, that it, that would be sort of a point of curiosity where it's like, wait, what do you mean? You know, because yeah. you haven't fully necessarily processed everything because it just hit you, you know? Yeah, I think they do. Really, this, this whole like final segment of, of, of the episode is really good, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. 
So in a warehouse on the docks, Peter finds the uh, man police have been pursuing for Uncle Ben's murder. He acknowledges that, you know, he's supposed to leave it to the police, but he's choosing not to do so. He wants his revenge right now. So he crashes through the warehouse's skylight and, like, confronts the murderer, begins to beat him up, and it's very brutal. It's really well acted, and it's all, like, done with really great, like, kind of dark, dark shadowy lighting and everything. It's, like, a very scary sequence. There's a point when Peter's like, all I want to hear is your screams. Yeah. Just like, yikes, dude. He's sa- stating on no uncertain terms that he is only there because he wants payback. So he tosses around the burglar a bit. Um, and then we get that iconic shot where Peter gets a look at the murderer's face and realizes he is the same man that he let go from the wrestling competition. So he recoils. He gets a little uh, what have I done moment in there. And he allows the murderer to run outside into police custody while he's kind of having his little breakdown. That sounded so patronizing because it's actually really traumatic uh, and it's yeah. really well handled. <laughs> it's it's very good. It's all it's all really well done. Like considering the 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 short amount of time that they have to do this, and considering you know they can only go but so far in you know how how directly they address everything, it's scarier than I would have expected it. Like how kind of rabid he is in this sequence and how like devastated he is like very quickly. You know, I think the pacing allows for them to do what they did. Because they don't yeah. dwell, then this this segment doesn't dwell on anything. It is just point after point after point after point. Like they get to it, you know. Yeah. No, I I agree. Yeah. So the next day in his bedroom, Peter wraps up his past few days and draws his conclusion that his powers are not to be taken lightly, and with those powers, he must accept the responsibility of wielding them. A determination inspired by advice his uncle Ben used to give him. So the episode ends with Peter declaring himself Spider Man and swinging through the city in his traditional suit that we all recognize. Gets a nice little quote at the end that closes it. So the next time you see me swinging by your window, know that while I've been called many things, a menace, amazing, spectacular, sensational, you'll know me best as Spider-Man. Yeah, and I like that quote because even though even though the next two episodes, the official episodes one and two, set up the tones and the themes and, and and all the sort of like vibes we are to expect in the universe from the storytelling. I really like this quote because it feels like it's commenting on the series as a series, right? Like mm. this is not the amazing Spider-Man. It's not the spectacular Spider-Man. Like this is, this is what we're doing. We're doing Spider-Man. Bam. Let's go for it. You know? Yeah, I like that a lot. I didn't really, I didn't really think about that when I was watching it. But yeah, you're right. It's kind of distills, distills their whole whole approach right here at the end, and their whole, yeah, it's like exactly what they're going for. And it almost, almost, whether intended to or not, I would guess probably not, is almost like a preemptive, like shut the fuck up, fanboys. This is a different show. <laughs> yeah, go away. <laughs> we, this we're starting a new show here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you could just swap out the words for, like, spectacular, unlimited, ultimate, mm-hmm. the animated series, but you'll yeah. know me best as Spider-Man 2017. Yeah. <laughs> I am Spider-Man 2017. I am Marvel's Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> what, what just little extra bit? This, the final, this final sequence, like, right before he gets his final swing, when you see just, like, a couple of random civilians, like, seeing him. Yeah. There's another, just like in Marvel Rising, there's another Stegosaurus hair, dude. Oh. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's not the same guy. It's clearly, like, a different character type, and the hair is a little bit different. But, like, the Stegosaurus, like, mohawk 
is the pres is present again. It's great. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a great observation, and I think it, it it rolls perfectly into our face of the episode, which is where I I think is probably the best place for us to talk about the style and aesthetic and and animation of this show. And I mentioned already that it fits very much with other shows happening at the same time, like Marvel Rising, like the Avengers show that was happening. Is that Assemble? I always mix up the name of uh, name. Yeah, of I think Assemble is the most recent. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy, even a little bit like Agents of Smash, like all these shows. I think it is. It it's not a mistake that they have a relatively consistent, though not exactly the same, style to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mentioned that I. I do find it really pleasant, even though I would expect a lot of people probably don't necessarily love it. I would love to get your impressions on it because I don't necessarily know what you're going to say. Oh, I honestly, I don't really have super strong opinions on it. I think it's fine. I actually think like weirdly in some ways it's a little more my vibe than like spectacular, the spectacular designs in terms of like, like which I've made very clear that I love like spectacular yeah. how it looks and everything, but in terms of like what I what I gravitate towards, I feel like you know spectacular. But this and spectacular are both do sort of like trying to simplify a lot of stuff, but they do it in different ways. Like spectacular is very clearly a lot more stylized, and this one it's stylized, but not. It still like feels a little more standardized. I think in that like oh like you recognize this as being kind of like like anime type style, like a, a little bit, like you can sort of see where they're sort of doing like light riffs on, on which like on what you see in a lot of anime stuff. Right. Totally. Um, so, and I'm fine with that. I actually kind of like that. I really, the only thing that I, that I, that I find myself really not liking about the style is less like the actual designs and more like the coloring and shading of it. Sure. Um, I, I don't like how flat everything looks like even as flat as the spectacular Spider-Man designs like purposefully were, I think they did a really good job of shading on that show very often. And this show has like, almost no shading in it which is like choice like they're doing it on purpose and and they still do lighting and stuff like that um yeah i I was that would be my distinction is i think like this show doesn't do a lot of shading but i think it i think it would look awkward if they did because they still they don't ignore lighting necessarily yeah they're still shadowing and all that sort of stuff but i i would be curious to see this particular style shaded you know, like some other shows are, because I don't know if it would work. I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, that's the thing is like a lot of animes, animes that are similar that they're kind of riffing on also don't use shading on it either. You know, so like I, I think it makes sense. It's not a thing that I that I love to see a lot. So it's a thing that I, I don't really like a whole lot, but I, it doesn't like bother me or anything. And and the other thing, too, I think kind of similar to that is that like I don't love how like muted the colors on this show often are. I, that I don't. It's again. It's a clearly a conscious choice, and it's not terrible. It's not like it's like like super low saturation or whatever. It's just like it's something that I noticed, and normally it's a thing that I wouldn't really pick up on. I, I just don't really get it, but it's fine. It doesn't really bother me either. Yeah, I I actually find it really pleasant. Like personally, um, okay. like I think I think the color palettes they use are really pleasant. I th- one of the things I like about this style that they use and that some of these other shows use is that it is very clean. And I think that's why I would be hesitant to see them do, you know, shading that other styles might do. And I think the the reason I'm attracted to it is probably a reason that a lot of people aren't in that it's not an inspired style. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. they're not reinventing anything. It's very much like 
it, it feels very much like if Avatar The Last Airbender was a direct reference to anime, this feels like a reference to the show that was referencing anime. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. And, yeah, that makes but sense. I, but I think what they do and why they're doing it is because it comes across incredibly clean. And I think it makes it really easy to translate into other shows. It makes it really easy to do any sort of crossover collaborative stuff. It allows them to do a lot with a little because I can't imagine these shows necessarily have enormous budgets because there's so many of them yeah but it still allows enough room almost like not that i'm comparing the actual style to scooby-doo but a lot of like if if you think of like the scooby-doo movies like the ones that you would like go to the store and buy on dvd a lot of those have like a similar vibe where it's really really clean and it has its own style but you could make very slight changes and have a different character you know what i mean I feel like yeah. this does a similar thing where it's like very simple, not necessarily inspired, but what it allows you to do is make lots of different characters with very small changes, which is kind of reflective of like humans in real life. Like these are all human shaped people, <laughs> like very explicitly, their proportions are all very human. And so it, I think it allows for like a, for situations where you might have lots of characters on screen and you can sit there and say like, okay, these two characters they look too similar. Okay, like change a hairstyle, change a hair color, tweak their eyes a little bit, bada bing, bada boom, you got a new character. So I think that's probably unappealing to some people, but I appreciate it because everything always looks very, very clean. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, and explaining it like that, I think makes a lot of sense when you do consider that they had, you know, like you said, they've sort of implemented the style or at least a variation on it for a lot of their cartoons that are running concurrently, including like Marvel Rising is almost exactly the same style yeah. as, as this show. And like it makes sense if you're doing that across multiple shows that are meant to cross over in one way or another because you have a lot more room to be able to be like, OK, even though the base style looks the same across these multiple shows – like because they're simple and clean enough, you can very easily have like characters from the comics and adapt them into the style very easily. So yeah. you can adapt a ton of Marvel characters across it without really having to make like significant changes or go, you know, completely hog wild and like stylizing it or anything because it is really easy to just tweak stuff slightly in this particular style. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's makes it easier to to kind of fit it all in, you know. Yeah. Cool. I like that. I didn't think of it that way, but that that's yeah. Yeah, like I said, I never had a problem with it. It really is I, – I, there's certain things about it I don't gravitate to, but it also is not one that – nothing about it is a turnoff to me, which yeah. I think, you know, I think says a lot. It's right It's right middle of the road for me, I think. I think that's exactly what I would expect people to call it out for. It feels very similar to the stylistic choices that the cinematic universe often uses where it's like – all these movies kind of have the same coloring and the same vibe. And like, I'm fully acknowledging that the style of the show is to make manufacturing the show easier and to make it appeal to as many people as possible. And I get that people might not like that. I still think it results in a pleasant, pleasant design, which is just Mm me, you know, reacting exactly the way they want. And I'm just comfortable with it. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. You know, I don't care. I think if it looks nice and they do a good job, cool. You know, look, we've watched some, ugly looking episodes of shows before this show is not going to offer that. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. It's not going to offer you the most artistic moments, but I guarantee you all these characters are always going to be on model, which actually makes our task of picking faces of the episode difficult for both reasons, because Mm -hmm. 
you know, we can't, we're not going to find those moments where a character is like wildly off model for like a full 20 seconds, but we're also not often going to find like incredibly artistic moments where they're like experimenting with shots yeah. or with character expressions or anything like that. Yeah. They're there and we'll find them, but it does make things a little difficult. So I think some of the things that we pick are going to end up being more like functional appreciation. Like I think this first face of the episode, I think a lot of what I like about it is that it it communicates a lot, even if it's not the type of thing that you look at and go like, wow, you know right. what I mean? It's not going to be on the one perfect shot Twitter feed. Exactly. But, exactly. but it's still like, a good frame in how it conveys characterization and relationships. Yeah. yeah. So this first one, I, I do think it is actually like a funny moment. It's just not a funny grab. Um, yeah. It's a moment where Spencer Smythe literally grabs Peter Parker by the hood of his hoodie and like pulls him over to the group. And it's like our, it's one of our first inclinations that like, oh, Spencer Smythe is a dick. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but we do actually get sort of like an uncharacteristic, like extreme emotion out of Peter from it because he's doing sort of like a squished up face because um, he's being pulled by his his hoodie. And we get a very clear sort of like emotional uh, beat, I guess, on uh, on Spencer Smythe's face. So it tells you exactly what the dynamic is supposed to be. So from that perspective... It looks like he's literally wagging his finger at Peter, so which says a lot. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I think a lot of the things that I end up appreciating are just how much they manage to communicate in such a very simple style when they're not doing extreme stuff. Like even Marvel Rising, they allow the character of Squirrel Girl and Ms. Marvel to be their extreme moments, you know what I mean? And those mm-hmm. characters don't exist here, so <laughs> it's all very much more grounded uh, when yeah. it comes to their extreme emotions. Yeah. Unlike this next one, which is very extreme. But I uh... love I love this grab, man. Oh, it's so good. What a good pull. Well, here's the thing. Bonesaw is in this episode, and every single Bonesaw face is amazing. Yep. He's so just how great. do you pick? Bonesaw's the best. Right. Right. We could we could post daily pictures of Bonesaw and and would all of them would be amazing. So we gotta just pick one of them. The one that I thought was the funniest. It is a bone saw picture, and he is making an incredible face that feels like it's straight out of, like, an 80s action show. But what's really great about it is it's part of his montage where he's, like, defeating a bunch of people to become the champion. And the guy that is tapping out because he's been defeated has, like, the weirdest happy face on. And it's not even the only (laughs) face he makes. He makes, like, multiple faces where I think he's supposed to be screaming, but just looks, like, absolutely delighted and overjoyed. And it is just... So bizarre and so delightful and perfectly in tone with the intentionally out of tone sequence that is the bone saw montage. Yeah. So great. Yep. There's weird like sexual energy going on in that image that it's it's a lot. I mean, like <laughs> bone saw. Let's be real. <laughs> yeah. From both directions. Just in general. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's great. Cool. I'm glad we're I'm glad we're doing this show. Me too. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see where it goes. You know, I have so little knowledge of really anything about it other than the small chunk of it that that I watched before we started doing this. So Same. I'm excited. I'm excited. I think I wonder if there's if, how many other podcasts are out there that are talking about it just because so many podcasts do retrospective stuff and very few like cartoons have like concurrent podcasts to go along with them. Like we might be the only ones that are out here talking about this show, even though it's really recent and about a really popular character, which is, is kind of fun to think about. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just, uh, I, I'm so unfamiliar with it that I'm just excited to see what they, what they offer. And I like, 
I like what they have established so far. Yeah. yeah. As somebody with no real expectations, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's gonna be even there's a lot there's gonna be a lot to talk about next week too because they haven't even established half of, of of what this show has to establish like premise and character wise. So yeah, so next week will be fun. But until then, you can check on our other stuff that we're doing on our Patreon. We have tons of bonus episodes that are ripe for grabbing. I'm sure we'll have even more this year that we're gonna be doing on Patreon. So very excited for that. Check us out there at Patreon.com/slash Walloping Web Snappers. If you would like to find us individually on the internet, where can we find you, Doug? You can find me on Twitter at IckyBooley, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. You can find me on another podcast here on the 4-Eyed Radio Network called Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast where my co-host Kyle and I talk about Pokemon just as we feel like it. And if you like books, video games, or other forms of media, as most of us do... You should check out a podcast called Novel Gaming, where my friends Katie and Vicky and I catch up on everything we've been consuming. Derek, where can people find you and the stuff you're doing? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale. You can also find me on YouTube under my video essay series, Second Chance, which looks at bad or divisive media from a positive lens. If you would like to hear more from the two of us, we have another podcast, a monthly podcast called Falling with Style, an ongoing Pixar movie marathon. We're watching every Pixar film chronologically. Our episode on Monsters, Inc. is the most recent one, which you can check all of those episodes out wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit us on our website at wallopingwebsnappers.com. We have a full archive of all of our episodes. Or you can, or and or, not just or, do all of this stuff. You can also follow us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at wallopingwebpod. Or email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. And if you could, please take a second and rate, review, and subscribe to us. Any podcast platform is great, but especially Apple Podcasts, because that is the easiest way for most people to find us, even if you just give us a rating on there. That helps a lot. Next week, we are continuing on with this show as Peter gets into the school of his dreams, and the series gets a proper pilot in Horizon High Part 1. See you there. See ya. See ya.